0: Have your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2, and I just want to uh, kind of get our hearts ready for what Christmas uh, means for us, and one of the things that we can, we can uh, glean out of this season, Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has bo- been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose. And have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Skip down to verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Another way. Let's just stop there. So if you were to go to modern Israel today, one of the things that you would come away with is um, that Herod, this Herod, was an absolutely spectacular architect. He was also crazy, like mad. He he, uh, I don't have time to tell you all of the stories, but, but you, you, can, you can read about and things that he did. Even on his death, he wanted people murdered so that there'd be mourners at, his, at, at, his, at his, uh, his funeral. I mean, all these weird things. But he built so much of what you see in uh, the land of Israel today. And they're absolutely amazing. Herod was the undisputed ruler of that area of the world. He was not the emperor of Rome but he was understood to be the king and even the king of the Jews. So Matthew doesn't want you to miss this. That the king of the Jews, if you will, is ruling and reigning over this area called Palestine and Israel and these wise men from the east show up. Now it's, it's a myth. There's nowhere in scripture that says there were three wise men. That comes from the fact that we read earlier that, that there was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so people think, well, there's three gifts or three wise men. That's probably not true at all. There might've been 50. There might've been two. We just know it wasn't a man. We know it was men. That's all. Okay, but most likely it says that that Herod was troubled, but all Jerusalem was troubled with him. So these were not just three random guys on Camelback that rode into town. This was probably an entourage. There was pomp and ceremony that would have come along with them. So picture the scene. Here's these dignitaries that come into town. They want, to, they want to go to Herod the king. Matthew, make sure you hear that a few times. They go to him. They get an audience with him. They walk into his presence, and they say to us, where is the king of the Jews that we may worship him? Now, just imagine you're Herod. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? You're thinking, isn't that me? Like, I'm that guy, right? I'm I'm the guy they should be coming to worship. I'm the one that you're here for. And yet they're saying, no, it's not you. It's, It's someone else. So here's what I'm gonna put before you that one of the things that Matthew wants to see is he's not just telling us this interesting story about this this uh, this sort of despotic king who is this great architect and, and this is this is fascinating history. He's he's wanting us to sort of find ourselves within the story and 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 see that there's something going on with Herod that's also true of us. Um, Every New Year's Day, and kids, correct me if I'm wrong, something like the last 10 or 12 years, about 12 years, right, about 12 years, uh, my kids have uh, watched all three episodes, director's cut edition, extended cut edition of Lord of the Rings. So you have to imagine this. The movies start about 9 in the morning. We don't end until about 10 or 10.30 at night, right? This is just one long, sweaty day of movie watching with all kinds of goodies that their mom makes for them. So in these 10 plus 12 years or so that we've done this, I've, I've never read the books, but I've learned a lot about Middle Earth, and I've learned a lot about sort of Middle Earth lore and orcs and kings and all this sort of stuff. And one of the characters that you are introduced to in the last movie, the, the return of the The king is a guy by the name of Denethor. So you hobbit and Lord of the Ring geeks, you're gonna love this, right? So just bear with me. Let's nerd out for a moment here. So so this Denethor guy is he's the steward of Gondor. Gondor is a kingdom, he is the steward. He's not the king, he's the steward. And the steward is simply a keeper of the throne. That's all he does, is just make sure that he's sort of holding the kingdom together while they await the return of the king. But here's the deal. Denethor is the 26th steward of Gondor. So imagine this. This is generation after generation that has been waiting for the return of the king. And so imagine if this is you. There's this part of you that's saying, he'll never return. I mean, come on. It's been 26 of us already. And there's other part that's maybe saying, I don't know that I want him to return. Because I kind of like being in charge. This is Herod's problem. But Herod's problem is not just Herod's problem. Herod's problem is my problem. And Herod's problem is your problem. That when kingship is threatened, and if you go on to read Matthew chapter 2, we do all kinds of things to protect it. See, everybody in here, right? Here, here, here's one of our issues. We want to be king, and we have two choices. We, we like Herod. We can, we can be troubled in spirit, and that trouble can either lead us to say we're going to give in, and we're going to let God be king, or someone else, most likely the person you see in the mirror will be king, right? Right? This is that this is, this is how we function. And Christ comes along and says, no, no, I'm going to demand from you, Chris, I'm going to demand from my people total allegiance. I will have supreme authority over your life. And if you don't believe me, read the gospel sometimes because Christ says, Christ says things that I know we all like to think of him as some sort of feathered hair Galilean peasant that walks around just saying, peace, joy, love. And Christ says things like, if you don't hate your mother and father, then you can't be my disciple. What is he saying? He's not not saying, I hope there's a lot of discord in your home. He's saying that in comparison to how you think of mom and dad and brother and sister, this is the kind of allegiance. He says things like, "If if you don't renounce everything and follow me, you can't be my disciple. He says, there's no serving two masters, so none of this, you know what, I'll take Christ plus someone else, or most likely something else and just add Christ to it. He says, no, it's me or nothing. I will be supreme, and that's the problem, because I want to be supreme, and so do you, right? I'll prove it to you. Like, how? How many times are you driving in the L.A. traffic even at Christmas and you think to yourself, what is wrong with all these people? Like, I'm the only person that knows how to drive in Los Angeles. I know there's four billion cars on the road, but apparently I'm the only one that knows how to do this. Everybody, get in line behind me let me show you how it's done, right? Because I I know what I'm doing and you don't. Or, Or you go to the grocery store and... My kids know now if dad gets in one line, don't go with him because God will punish him. And, and, and he's trying to sanctify my father. So I am, I am almost always going to get behind the woman or man, you know, three or two ahead of me or just right there. I think I'm almost through. And then, boom, this person whips out their checkbook. And I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is 2016. Why do you have a checkbook? Like, aren't you supposed to, like, double tap your watch? Boop, done, out, right? You're on your way, but why? And and I'm, I'm waiting and waiting. I'm thinking, this is crazy. Why? They're not submitting to my rulership. They're supposed to. I'm supposed to be sovereign of this universe, and you're supposed to get in line behind me. And we do this all the time. We do this all the time. But Christ comes and says, there will be one ruler, and Chris, it's not you, and I'm not going to share my kingship with you. I'm not going to share it with anyone. I will be king, and you will submit. See, Herod wants to be king, and Herod's thinking, wait a second, I'm the king of Israel, and they're, they're saying there's another one, and now I'll do anything, and Herod goes on to do horrific things to protect his kingship. You know one of the reasons there's so much pain and suffering in the world? Why, why can't we seem to get to the place of peace on earth? <laughs> because, I don't know how, some of you know better than I, something like 6 billion people, 7 billion people in the world, something like that. It's Because we have like 7 billion kings running around. And everybody wants to be in charge. And everybody wants the world to bow to them. Tell me this isn't one of our problems, that we don't want to submit, we don't want to do what God says. In fact, the Bible will tell us that that apart from Christ, your heart, my heart, everybody's heart is at enmity against God. We, We cannot, we will not submit to God unaided by the Holy Spirit. We will not. In fact, Paul's going to say in Romans chapter 3, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one seeks for God, no one understands, all have turned aside, no one does good, not even one. What are you trying to say, Paul? No one. No one. But you say, wait a second, I know Chris, I know people that do good, they do lots of good. I can't get into this right now, but you know, you know why you say that? Because you get to define what good is. And the one who defines what good is, but it's amazing how often I do the good that I I have defined, right? If this means, if, if doing good just means providing for my children and putting food on the table or walking old ladies across the street, man, I'm good. But Jesus comes along and says, nobody's good. The only one that's good is God. You say, well, I know people that seek for God. Do you? Do you really know people that seek for God? Because in my experience, let me tell you what I see. I see see a lot of people seeking, but what they seek after is like, I still want to be on the throne and I just want God to fill my life with all the benefits of his godness. I want love, I want joy, I want peace, I want forgiveness. I want all the benefits that God brings me. I don't want God. And if I do want God, I can almost guarantee it's not the God of the Bible. It's probably a God of your own making, right? It's sort of the the, um, I don't know, the old man God that's just so glad if anybody comes and visits him. Or this passive God that's just, you know, I won't say anything unless spoken to, right? Or, or the therapist God, and all he ever does is affirm everything about you, never pushes back, never has, you know, any, any harsh word, never edges to, his, to, to the way he would speak to you. But the God of the Bible? I mean, the God who says things like, if you come into my presence in your sinfulness, you'd be incinerated because of my holiness. The God who will say things like, I will by no means let the guilty go free. The wages of sin is death. I don't know anybody that seeks that God. See, so no wonder Matthew, I mean, says something that's almost like humorous when he says that when, when Herod heard this, he was troubled. This is the most troubling question you will ever ask yourself. Who is the true king? Is it you? Is it God? Is it Jesus? That's the greatest question. But it's also incredibly troubling because you realize, man, I'm, I'm king more often than not. So, so the wise men's question troubles Herod. Where's the true king? We've got to ask ourselves that. And what the Bible's going to say, it's not you. You're not the king. I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. And his kingship is undisputed. Now, now look. That's scary for some of us, right? Because when we think of kings or presidents or premiers or whatever, we see all these examples in our world and say, I don't want to submit to that. I mean, people standing up with signs, never Trump, he's not my president. Okay, well, I get that, right? I, but, but, but so, so there's, this, there's this reticence, there's this hesitance. I, I don't want to submit to that. So what are you being asked to when Jesus comes and says, and the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And Jesus comes along and says, unless you give up everything and follow me, unless I have total supremacy in your life, that feels scary until you recognize what kind of king he is. So the last few weeks, we've been going through Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and this tells us something about this king. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, right? He's going to bear the weight of the world. He's going, to, he's going to do this thing. He's going to take governments. There's no government that is operating out from under his control. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. This is the king that you submit to. He's wonderful, He never is stumped by anything. He knows exactly what to say. He speaks into your life in such practical and winsome ways. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. You don't have the power, but he does. And he's God. And he comes and says, I'll reign, I'll rule, I'll help you. I'll give you the power that you need to do everything that I'm asking you to do. He's an everlasting father. So even those of us, you might look at your life and say, man, I didn't have a great father. I don't like thinking of Christ, his disposition to me in a fatherly way because all my images there are bad. But here's the thing, I've told you before, I I promise you, even if that's you, you, you you wept perhaps, you laid awake at night fantasizing, dreaming about hopefully I would love to have a father that was like this. And the Bible comes along and says, this is the father. He's the father to the fatherless. He's the the husband to the widow. He's the father to the orphan. He provides, he protects, he cares. He's everything you ever dream for in a father. And he's the prince of peace. Isn't this the longing of the human heart? I just want to know peace. I want my life to feel whole. I want to feel like things are lined up. There's a harmony. There's, 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 there's a sense of, of wholeness to my life. And he's the prince. He does that. And Isaiah goes on to say, we just read it a moment ago, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. In other words, he's going, and of his peace, there shall be no end. God's going to be ever increasing this thing, ever moving. It's going to become bigger and bigger. Jesus comes along and he says in the gospels, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed or it's like, a, it's like a little tiny piece of yeast that you put into a dough and pretty soon, amazingly, almost miraculously, somehow that yeast has permeated the entire lump of dough or somehow that little tiny mustard seed went in the ground. I mean, who could have imagined That this tiny mustard seed could one day hold the weight in its branches of birds of the air. That's the idea. This this really small beginning that nobody ever thought would, would amount to anything is Jesus. And Isaiah says... You know why we can have confidence this is going to happen? You know how this is going to happen? What's going to, what's going to be the, the thing that pushes this along throughout human history and glow, grows it from a mustard seed into this massive plant or permeates the whole lump of dough? What's going to get us to the place the prophet will say that, that, the, that there's coming a day when the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea? Isaiah says the zeal of Of the Lord will do this. You know what zeal is? Zeal is energy, it's enthusiasm. And it's energy or enthusiasm of someone to do something. So, who's the one in Isaiah chapter 9 with all the zeal, with all the energy, enthusiasm? He tells us it's the Lord of hosts, it's Yahweh, it's God. And what's he going to do? He's going to bring about everything. He's going to bring about this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, his increase of his government. All these things are being pushed by the zeal, the energy, the enthusiasm of God. He's going to bring it about. So here's the question. Who's the true king? Like you're on one side or another. You're following the king who is a child who we celebrate at Christmas, who will die on a cross on Good Friday, who will raise on Easter Sunday? I mean, is that the center of your life? Is that around the, the one around whom you orbit, or, or is there another, or is it you? See, what Christmas is doing is pushing on us and saying, This is, this is it. This is the king that we've all been waiting for. Like, this is the king that movies try to portray to you oh i want to be a part of that kingdom oh i want to know that king oh I, I would i could submit to that i can't submit to this he's the king of your wildest dreams do you know him do you worship him so this is what christmas is asking us where is the true king in your heart is it you Or is it Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word and we pray that, Lord, at this time of year and all times, God, this would not just be a, a sentimental Christmas moment, but, Lord, this would be one of those times when we resolve in our hearts once again to be people who submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray for my friends Lord, people who are sitting upon the throne of their life, perhaps. There's people in this room like that. Today, they would would realize that how much of the pain and suffering of their own life comes in the fact they will not let you have control. They will not bow their knee. God, I pray that they would bow their knee now in the day of your grace rather than the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess not by choice even. But they will have to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. So I pray, Lord, do that now. Do that now in this season of Advent when we celebrate your first coming, before your second coming. When you don't come as a baby, you come as a warrior. You come as a conqueror. So I pray, God, draw us to yourself, open our eyes, and help us that we might worship Him who is truly King. In Jesus' name.